listening to the Elim Church Northampton podcast. This message was recorded live as part of our regular Sunday service. We know that this is a great investment into your life. So tune in and give it a listen. For more information, visit elimnorthampton.com. Okay, if you've got your Bible, please turn with to Matthew 18. And so the title of the message today is Freedom of Forgiveness. And uh, you may have remembered the last time I preached on forgiveness, and you probably have been in church, you're thinking, oh, well, that doesn't really apply to me. But this morning, it might actually apply to you. Because there's no guarantee that through life that somebody's going to hurt you, betray you, wound you, and then we will have um, a response to make. Either we allow that to get into our hearts where it causes resentment, bitterness, and unforgiveness, or we choose to, what the Bible teaches us, to actually to forgive, to release that pain and that unforgiveness. It's a big, it's a big topic, and uh, I have taught about forgiveness for a long time, but I think this morning I've, I've thought more about it uh, I've read some stuff on the aspects of, of forgiveness and reconciliation. And it's helped me to manage the, the difficulty when we have to actually forgive those people that's hurt us. Um, and the process of reconciliation. And so it's an important teaching today for us to grab hold of. And I'm praying that it will free you today. It will help you navigate, if not now, in the future. You will know how to manage when things happen to you and it affects our hearts and can stop us from fulfilling God's purpose in our lives. And so it was an important topic because actually the disciples wanted to talk about it. And so in Matthew 18, verse 21, it goes like this, and I think there's some scripture on, on the screen. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me. Up to seven times, Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found out one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him by and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that happened. Then the master called the servant in you wicked servant, he said, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you 
have had mercy or pity on the fellow servant just as I had on you. In his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owes. And then Jesus said this, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. It's very strong, isn't it? What Jesus responds to Peter. This is how your heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. There was a woman that bought a parrot for a pet. And the parrot didn't like this woman. And so the parrot began to insult her. Every time she tried to pick the parrot up, it would insult her and also peck her arm. One day, this woman was so fed up and hurt about the response to this parrot that she paid a lot of money for, she picked it up and it continued to insult her and it began to say, you're ugly, I can't stand you. And she, this parrot began to peck and peck as she carried him. She got fed up of this parrot. And so she opened the freezer door and threw him in and closed the door. And from inside the door of the freezer, the parrot was still going on about for five minutes more. You're ugly, I hate you. And so then there, there was silence in the freezer. And the woman thought, oh, I've killed the parrot. So she opened the door and the parrot looked at her and she picked it up and the parrot said, I'm very sorry, I apologize for all the bad behavior and promises and I promise you that I will no longer insult you and I will be a really nice parrot. I will be respectful and obedient. And the woman responded and said, okay, the apology is accepted. I forgive you. And the parrot said, thank you. Then he said to the woman, can I ask you something? She goes, yes, what is it? And the parrot opened the, the freezer door, looked in it and said, can I ask you what did the chicken do wrong? <laughs> what did the chicken do wrong? You'll have an opportunity in your walk with God to put, want to put some people in a freezer. But Jesus commands us as followers of Jesus that we must forgive. It's not an option. We must forgive. Uh, Professor N.T. Wright says, Forgiveness and reconciliation is a huge issue today. We see clearly the results of not doing it. Suicide bombs, campaigns of terror, heavy-handed repression by occupying forces. That's on the large scale. On the smaller scale... We see broken marriages, shattered families, feuds between neighbors, and divided churches. And Dr. Henry Cloud, in his book entitled Trust, says, Forgiveness feels so impossible at times, so unfair and even wrong. But here is the best truth I can share with you about it. If you are going to be your best, healthiest, and highest performing self, you must forgive. 
Forgiveness is the way you feel about, um, is the way you feel yourself, you free yourself from betrayal. Otherwise, you'll be tied to it and trapped in it for the rest of your life. Forgiveness certainly is a gift you give to someone who hurts you. When we give it, we enable them not to punish themselves for their wrongdoing. And sometimes, as we will, as we will see, the open possibility of future relationship unstained by past failure. But forgiveness is also a gift that you give yourself. And I want you to see the value it has for you. To hold on to an injury and to nurse anger and bitterness is to allow a cancer to grow in your heart, mind, and soul. It will kill you, physically and otherwise, which will contribute to mental health, anxiety, bitterness, hatred, revenge, anger, and sickness. So as followers of Jesus, then how do we respond when somebody sins against us? And Jesus' response to Peter helps him understand that with forgiveness as a Christian, there is no limits. There's no cut-off point to those who sin against us where we are not able to offer forgiveness to them. There isn't a number to reach that gives the offender the clear, the clear green light for retaliation, judgment, to make them pay, to plot revenge. There's only one option, and that's to forgive. And that's hard. And Martin Luther King Jr. says, forgiveness is not an occasional act. It is a constant attitude. Forgiveness is done by the act of the will. And, you know, we may not even get to know those who hurt us or betrayed us, who sinned against us, and it is possible to forgive them because forgiveness requires just one person. Even when we do know them, we can still choose to forgive them. They do not need to be a part of our decision to forgive them. They don't need to agree for us to forgive them, nor do they need to repent or comply. No one can take away the power to forgive only ourselves. When we hold unforgiveness, we hold back the very life flow of God. We can't feel his peace, his security, his freedom unless we let go and forgive. And Jesus in Matthew 6 puts it like this. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is not a works thing where you do something for God's response. This is what God is saying. This is what a Christian must do now because the very fundamental foundation of our faith is forgiveness. There is no other option for a follower of Jesus, but we must choose to forgive when people hurt us. And people don't even have to be a part of your decision. They don't even have to, you don't even have to know them. And also, they don't even have to agree to you forgiving them. But you have a choice and the power 
to set yourself free and to release these people. Or if you do not do that, you restrict the power and the presence of God to flow in your life and through your life. Unless you give, you cannot receive. It's a very strong warning for us that the life source of God stops until you offer forgiveness before you again can feel and receive it again from God's hand. There will be a blockage, a barrier to his life flow if we do not let go and forgive. Now, reconciliation is different because reconciliation takes two people. Forgiveness takes one person. Reconciliation takes two people. Why? Because one person has to um, forgive and the other person has to repent. You, you, to, for reconciliation, there has to be two people. So Christ has forgiven the world, but they have not received the forgiveness until they repent because it takes two people. Reconciliation. Reconciliation can only respond when there's a relationship decision to mend what was broken. And so forgiveness can be given without reconciliation. However, in the context of the church, the goal, the direction of Jesus is to, to give forgiveness and then to reconcile. You see, the thing is with forgiveness, I can forgive you as a brother or a sister I said, I forgive you, but I'm not going to reconcile with you. And that can happen in marriages, it can happen in workplaces, it can happen with colleagues. So I can offer forgiveness, but Jesus says, as the church, our goal is not only to forgive, but to make reconciliation impossible, because it takes two people. And sometimes not, that's not as easy as it makes out. So why is it so important for the church, the family of God? Because this act of forgiveness and the journey to reconciliation is the very example that Christ demonstrated to the church to the Christ follower. The very essence of what God did for me and you was not only that he forgave us, but he also offered reconciliation. And so as we copy Christ, when people hurt us, we must do what Christ did towards us when we hurt him. Hurt him. The very thing that we did to God, he did for us. And what we have to do as followers of Jesus, that when people hurt us, we have to respond like Jesus to those people. We have to offer forgiveness. And then, if we can, by possibility, take steps for reconciliation, that the relationship can be restored, but not always. See, Christ forgave us our wrongs. Romans 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, nobody needs to ask you for forgiveness. You can give it. We never ask God for it. He just died for us for it. And Colossians 2 says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ and he forgave you all of your sins. But not only did he forgive us, he reconciled us back to God. Colossians again says, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. See, relationship with God has been re reconciled, restored, only because forgiveness was offered first and then the steps to bring relationships 
to be reconciled. And God commands that of his church. Why? So we can be a, a witness to the world of what God is like. It's great that we, we offer kindness to people and we do good works, but the greatest act and witness that a member of the body of Christ can demonstrate is forgiveness and steps towards reconciliation if parties are in agreement. This is our goal. It's not saying it always can be achieved. Forgiveness can always be achieved, but reconciliation may not always be achieved even though it's our goal because building and restoring broken relationships takes two people. One has to forgive, the other has to repent or admit that they were wrong. Even so, there still takes a journey to bring the relationship back. Forgiveness is a choice, but reconciliation takes the journey of trust. This is where we make a mistake in our life and I believe in the past that we've preached forgiveness automatically thinking that reconciliation is an easy journey or instant and we jump back into a relationship with its friends, colleagues, marriages and we, when we've been betrayed by people or, or, or sinned against, we jump back into a relationship and also find ourselves hitting the same problem again because we've not understand the process of reconciliation, of building back trust in a relationship. You see, I forgive you deals with the past, but can I trust you deals with my future. So when you offend me and hurt me, I must forgive you, but how I'm going to have you back in my world again is going to take some time for you so I can trust you to give you my heart again. Same in marriages when betrayal happens. If you, if you don't put in place some steps to earn trust, it's never going to work because there has to be accountability and responsibility for the hurt that's caused to other people. And so when you go, oh, I forgive you, I'll just go back to where we left off and next week you hurt me again and I'll forgive you again and you'll hurt me again. Reconciliation has not happened. It's called advantage. It's called taking liberties with the grace of God that I've offered to you. So reconciliation takes time. You see, there may be times that we will forgive, but there may be times that reconciliation may not be possible, but it's our goal. Because it has to be a collaboration of a journey in our life. I've got to be able to trust you again. I've got to be able to know you're not going to do the same thing over and over and over again and keep hurting me and hurting me and hurting me. I've got to know that you really mean that you were sorry. There's got to be some fruit with repentance. And if you're in a relationship, friendship, marriage, colleagues, and you, you are hurting people and then saying you're sorry and doing it again, I want you to take stock of your life. And if you're on the other end of that, wake up. Wake up and don't allow people to manipulate you when you say, oh, but you've got to forgive me. 
Yeah, I'll forgive you, but you're not coming nowhere near me again until you change. We never taught that well in church, have we? Just keep hitting me again and killing me again and betraying me again and using me again. And I'll just keep saying, but the Bible says you've got to forgive me. Yeah, I'm going to forgive you, but I'm going to, I want to see some change in your life before I offer you my heart again. Sometimes it may not be possible because when we get hurt and when we get betrayed, when people sin against us, forgiveness is an instant decision, but the pain and process of that takes time. And it can take a long time. And I want to say you need to take your time. Time to do what? Time to heal with the pain. Deal with it. Because it hurts. That's why you want revenge. That's why you get bitter. Because it's hurt you so much. And you think, how could they do that to me? After all I've done for them. And if we're not careful, the wound doesn't get healed. And so we need to get help to deal with the pain from other people, from counseling, from wherever else that we can get help. That will, people will love us enough to help us work through the pain of the hurt that is in our life. We need time to choose to forgive properly. To come to terms, to to tell it what it is that even though I forgive you, 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 you are responsible for the act that you did. And then trust needs to be built. Accountability. Is there proof that the other person is actually changing? And, and when they say, I will never do that again, what's the proof that it's not happening again. What steps are they taking to make sure things are not going to happen again? Come on, wake up and see some wisdom in your life. We are responsible to protect your heart. Of course we want reconciliation. Of course we want forgiveness. But we don't want unnecessary pain. Because people take advantage of our love for God to follow his commands. So there is a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation, but this morning I want to talk about forgiveness because everyone in this room, no matter how much you've been hurt, you can choose to do that today. So what happens to us if we don't forgive? Well, there's some things to help us understand the process of forgiveness when we hold it in our life because all of us will get hurt somehow in our journey of life. The people that love you, should love you the most, will hurt you. Your colleagues, those that's been your friends, strangers, people that you don't, you will get an opportunity, if it's, that's what it's called, for, for, for your heart to be, to be hurt. For disappointment to set in for feelings of revenge and, and, and for them to pay will be a part of your life for a season. When you go to sleep, when you wake up, when you go to parties, when, you, when you're in company of those that love you and never hurt you, you'll still carry that in your heart and it has to be sorted out. And what happens if you don't let it go 
the life flow of God will hold you back. We must make steps to forgive. See, if you do not forgive others, then your father will not forgive yours. What he's saying is there's a blockage. God can't release that to you because you are holding unforgiveness. And God can't get it to you unless he can get unforgiveness through you. Second thing is, in the story, the servant should have had pity or mercy on the person. Sometimes when people hurt us and we, we are carrying wounds, we forget that we also are able to hurt other people. We get blinded because of what they've done to us that we forget sometimes that we are no different in a sense that we're all fallen short of the glory of God. And every single one of you in this room and online are capable to hurt somebody else in your life. You are capable to hurt other people. You are capable to sin against somebody else with your mouth, with your actions, with your life. You are capable. And if you forget that, then you'll become judge. And so Jesus said to the servant, didn't you forget how much I forgave your debt? So many bags of gold, the value was about a billion pounds today to the guy's silver. And he said to the servant, you've forgotten how much I've forgiven you and now you've become judge. And so, you, so what happens to us if, if because of the pain and our justification, we lose self-awareness that we are able to hurt somebody else and one day you're going to need the same forgiveness from others. And thirdly, forgiveness is a choice, an act of the will. It does not need a feeling of love or, or to forgive. You can still feel angry and still feel hurt, but you can still choose to forgive. Did you know that? I don't know anybody that's felt happy about forgiving. You actually feel happy after you've done it. Nobody feels, oh, I'm so excited today. I'm going to forgive that person. They, they hurt me. They damaged me. They stitched me up so much. I can't wait to forgive them. I don't know anybody like that. Because forgiveness is hard, but it must be released, and it's an act of the will, not an emotion. See, forgiveness, my dear friends, is actually an offering. It's a gift that you offer somebody that don't deserve it. It's a sacrificial offering. You know, sometimes offering forgiveness costs you more than giving you money. It's the most painful offering that you're going to make in your life. It was for Jesus. And it will be for us. So three quick steps to help us take that step of forgiveness. If not now, when? Three steps. What can help us? Number one, the church can help you. See, in the same passage just before this, Jesus gives a direction for when a brother or sister falls out with each other or sins against someone. He says what you need to do is you need to go and talk to them about it. You need to go and show them their fault. You need to go and have some conversation in person gathering, one-to-one, eye-to-eye. Not face texting and Facebooking. 
face to face. Let's sit down and look at each other in the eye. And let me tell you how you hurt me. Tell me what you're, what's going on in your, your heart and mind, why you did it. And if that doesn't work, the Bible says, then bring somebody else with you. Two or three witnesses in the Old Testament was there when they were judging things. And when it says take somebody with you, it doesn't mean take the person that you fueled against that person because they hurt you. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean to say when you go home after you've been hurt and you go, do you know what they did to me? I want to tell you how much they hurt me. And then that your friend, then they get hurt because you're hurt. And then you say, would you come with me and tell them what they did? And they go, you absolutely right, I'm going to come with you and tell you what they did to you. And you don't even have to open your mouth because they're ready to get them by the throat. No, you don't want that kind of person with you. What you do want is a true friend that will come with you, that's for you, that loves you, that when you get into the room and you talk about what happened, if they know that you're in fault, they'll tell you that you're wrong. That's the kind of people you want in your life. Not backing you up when you find out that you're in the wrong, but they'll, they'll say, hold on a minute, they're not the problem, you are. But then their journey is for reconciliation, peacemakers. And the church is responsible for that. So if you're in church, life group, and people's fallen out, it's our responsibility to say, hey, hey what's going on? Come on, we've got to sort this out. We've got to bring some, some peace in the room. And then as the church, as an example, we move towards reconciliation. So the Bible says the church can help you. Secondly, what you must always remember is that your debt has been forgiven by God and what it cost him. The wicked servant was, left, was let off his debt of a billion pounds, as I said before, and he couldn't pay it off. You know, whenever you struggle with forgiving somebody else, just remember what God did for you. You owe God a debt that could not be paid. And you asked him for mercy. And even though that you should have been judged for your sin, and that he actually died for you and let you off your debt. In fact, he paid the debt for you. If you ever forget, I can't forgive. No, you just need to remember how much Jesus forgave you. And now you must offer that same to that brother or sister or person that hurt you. You must choose to forgive because of the sacrifice that Jesus gave for you. Martin Luther King Jr. says this, forgiveness does not mean ignoring what has been done or putting a false label on an act of evil. It means rather that the evil act no longer remains as a barrier to the relationship. Forgiveness is a catalyst creating the atmosphere necessary for a fresh start and a new beginning. Paul says to the Colossian church, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And thirdly, you will free yourself from prison. You see, when you choose to hold unforgiveness in your heart, you actually put yourself in prison. Just like the master said, 
I'm going to hand you over to the torturer. See, see, God can't do anything when you hold unforgiveness. In fact, you put yourself in prison. You put yourself under torture. You see, it, if you, you, you have to understand that if you forgive, then bitterness will have to let you go. If you forgive, revenge will have to let you go. Unforgiveness will have to let you go. Hatred will have to let you go. Torment will have to let you go. If you don't forgive, those things will not let you go. They will imprison your life. And the only way that you can free yourself from those things is by choosing to forgive for freedom. Lewis B. Smeads quotes this. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. And Nelson Mandela says this as I come to close in a moment. As I walked out of the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. And fourthly, your helper, the Holy Spirit, can help you do what you can't at times. You'll have your life back. The life flow of God through you. His peace will come. His presence will come. And freedom will come. The lady, famous Corey Tenboon, was a Dutch watchmaker and a later Christian writer and public speaker. She worked with her father and also her sister, Betsy, and her other family members also helped the Jews escape from the Nazis during the Holocaust in World War II. And they did that by hiding them in their homes. However, they were caught. And she was arrested and sent to Ravensbrück, the concentration camp. And to suffer much under the hands of the soldiers, she survived and began to travel around the world. And as she told her story of God's forgiveness of sins and of the needs of, of, uh, to, for people to forgive those that harmed them, there was one day that she was put to the test in 1947. While she was speaking in a church in Munich, at the close of the service, she saw a man in a grey overcoat stepping forward to greet her. And she froze because she knew this man well. He'd be one of the most vicious guards in the camp. One who had mocked the women prisoners as they showered. It came back with a rush, she wrote. The huge room with the harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, and the shame of walking naked past this man. And now he's pushing his hand out to shake my hand, saying, a fine message, how good it is to know that as you have said, our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take hold of his hand. 
He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors. My blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. He said, I was a guard there, but since that time, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear from you, from your lips as well, again, the hand came out, will you forgive me? And I stood there, I whose sins had been forgiven again and again by God, but I could not forgive. Betsy, my sister, had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply by asking me this day? The soldier stood there expectantly, waiting for Curry to shake his hand. She wrestled with the most difficult thing I've ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgave has prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. Standing there before the former SS man, Corey remembered the forgiveness as an act of the will, not an emotion. She said, Jesus, help me. She prayed, Lord, I can lift my hand. I can do that much. But you have to supply the feelings. And Corey thrust out her hand towards this man. And she says this, as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulders, raced down my arm and sprang into our joint hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But even, even so, I realized it was not my love. I had tried. I did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's stand together. Friends, this morning, I don't know how you've come to church today. Those of you online, I don't know your current situation, but there will be a time where you're going to need to forgive people as a follower of Jesus. It's a command. It's going to be hard. But I want to tell you the Holy Spirit is your helper. And forgiveness is an act of the will. You have to choose. And this morning, as we come to a close, if you're carrying unforgiveness, bitterness, revenge, hurt, and you've not forgiven those that's hurt you, I am appealing to you this morning to choose this morning to forgive, to free yourself from that prison so you can start afresh into your future. And all I'm going to do this morning is pray one prayer and then we're going to sing and close.
So let's bow our heads. And you can pray this after me. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. This is the most important part of the prayer now. As we forgive them that trespass against us. If that's you in this place and you know you need to forgive, just release them right now. I choose to forgive. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.